630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Good to have the walk to the ride tonight. 5-3 for the Blue Jays. Bottom of the sixth. That game in Tampa Bay. NHL action tonight. We have the uh, New York Islanders leading the Lightning 4-2. That's early in the third. Also, well, about seven minutes into the third. The Rangers are up 3-1 on the Blue Jackets. The Panthers, three goals in the second period. Still five minutes left in the second period. They're up 3-0 on the Maple Leafs. Coyotes, two Blues nothing early in the second period. Kings and Canucks a little bit later on. The uh, NCAA basketball tournament ends tonight. And I am distressed to say we don't get the station that shows the game here in the 630 Jed building. Who do I complain to, Matthew Panashik? Well, I could uh, phone the engineer for you and see what they could cook up. <laughs> what, what if I just sent some angry texts back to the uh, angry texts that I got about Taylor Hall? What if I just texted those people and complained about something they can't ra- change? Ra- randomly? Just randomly text me. <laughs> hey, listen, this is Reed texting you back from Inside Sports. I yeah. can't get the game yeah, tonight. I'm your frustrated. Fault. It's your fault. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, all right. Uh, shifting gears uh, a little bit here. Final Oilers game at Rexall Place on Wednesday. They've invited back anybody who has ever been an Oiler to the game. I think they're going to have around a couple hundred alumni there, including Wayne Gretzky, who was on Oilers now earlier today. And I believe this man is coming as well. Uh, an old friend of mine who I've been bugging for interviews for about 15, 16 years now, former Edmonton Oiler Corey Cross. Corey, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm good, Reed. How are you? Uh, well, I appreciate you making time for me, first of all, because it's not as if I haven't imposed on you before. So thank you. <laughs> no worries. No uh, worries. You're hard-pressed, so you go to the bottom of the barrel, right? Oh, come on now. <laughs> this is long overdue. Uh, 113 games as an Edmonton Oiler, which we, which we will get to. But, Corey, let people know uh, what you're up to now uh, hockey-wise, because I believe you're associated with a team that's having a pretty good season. Yeah, I've been helping uh, the West Kelowna Warriors uh, off and on for well, a few years now, and uh, yeah, we just um, yeah we're in the third round of the BCHL playoffs, and it's kind of a goofy third round um, round robin uh, play against Chilliwack and Nanaimo head to head, and then the top two teams that get well the first two teams that win get three wins move on to the final. So a little goofy, but um, it is what it is, and. We've been playing really well, so um, I, I do like our chances, but you never know. Crazier things can happen. So Now, you spent some time as assistant coach with the University of Calgary Dinos as well before uh, doing stuff in the junior A ranks. What, what do you enjoy about coaching, Corey? Well, I've always enjoyed coaching. I went to U of A as, to, be a, to be a teacher, and, and that's why I have the, my degree in. And, and just, um, you know, it's always been a passion of mine, and so... You know, after I retired, uh, I was helping the West Kelowna Warriors then as well. And uh, Mark Howell was the head coach then, and he moved to U- UFC. And um, I was going to move to Calgary for the winners because of my oil, uh, oil and gas service company in Lloydminster. And um, yeah, it just worked out well that I was able to help him there and do sales for the company. And 
and uh, here I am back in Kelowna and helping the Warriors again. So, yeah, it's, it's really enjoyable for me. Right on. Well, glad you're enjoying that. Let, let's talk a little bit about uh, about your your career path to to becoming an Oiler. Now, you you were born and born and raised in Lloydminster, which is how we first met, right? Yeah, I mean, I was born in PA, but moved oh, to Lloyd sorry. when I was two. So, but um, yeah, I, I I pretty much claim I was born in Lloyd and and uh, played minor hockey uh, throughout the years in Lloydminster, and then um, went to U of A to play with the Golden Bears for three years, and then went to turn pro after that. Now, how did how did you wind up with the U of A? Was this a straight out of high school slash midget type thing, or how were you discovered to be a Golden Bear? actually found in the ice hockey class uh, my first year at U of A I had decided I really wasn't going to play hockey and um, just concentrate on schooling and I had taken an ice hockey course that uh, Billy Moores was the instructor and obviously the head coach of the Golden Bears at that time and after you know about a month of school I was missing hockey and asked him if I knew, he knew of any place I could play and he questioned why I didn't try out for the Bears, and I pretty much laughed in his face and <laughs> said, well, I played double-A last year, midget. I don't think I'm going to be playing for the Golden Bears. And uh, he just shrugged his shoulders. He gave me a, told me about the Junior A teams around Edmonton, but I didn't have a vehicle. So I went and played Junior B with my roommate who had a car and uh, played Junior B with Edmonton Royals there. And we actually had a, we had a phenomenal team, and uh, two of us from the Royals went on to play with the Bears after that. So it was kind of a kind of a, a goofy way of, of making the team but but it worked out yeah well that's I mean that's an incredible path to to play in the NHL and, and I mean I guess you know the guys that get all the publicity are the are the Connor McDavid's of the world who are is stars pretty much right away when they're in the league 18 19 20 but when you were 19 you were playing junior B hockey I mean that's 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 incredible I mean, you never would have thought that you would have played over 650 games in the NHL yeah, no, I was still growing too. <laughs> oh, jeez! <laughs> I was such a late bloomer. I was so tall and skinny, and uh, you know, Billy just took a took a crack at me. He, he saw something in me that, um, that a lot of people didn't, I guess. And and, I, and then I just started growing into my body and getting stronger. And and I practiced with the team for the first year, and then the second year, you know, I was top four defenseman, and we won the national championship. And then I got drafted, and then the third year, I was you know, top two guy and, you know, and then just escalated my game every year. I just got better and better. And I was in the NHL two years later. So, so even when you got drafted, you're still going to the U of A, were you thinking, okay, now I got to make my career path, the NHL, or were you still thinking like, yeah, I got to make the de- the degree and a, and a, and a uh, quote unquote regular job, my priority. Well, I, I, I knew I wasn't ready to play pro hockey, and I knew you know one more year of school wasn't going to kill me for sure. And uh, and and Tampa was really good about that. They they um, they totally agreed with my decision and and supported it. And there was no question about you know about staying back or playing. And and then uh, yeah, and then got my degree, and then uh, signed a 25 game trial with Atlanta Knights, their farm team, and finished the year off with them after my uh, and then. Wrote my exams, graduated, and then the next year I started off with a good training camp and got sent to Atlanta, but uh, played there for a year, and then the lockout came the next year. Made the uh, made the Lightning out of training camp, but then was sent to Atlanta because of the lockout. And mm-hmm. then when lockout ended, I was up and 
never looked back. So, Wow. Corey Cross joining us inside sports on 630 Chet. Now, growing up in Lloydminster, were you an Oilers fan when you were a kid? Uh, I, ha- I have to say, I have to be truthful and say no. I was yeah. a big New York Islander fan. Oh, no way. And, yeah, Mike <laughs> Bossy, Dennis Bosby, and Brian Trotcher were all my, my idols. And then the Oilers became so good and then beat them. And then, I, you know, obviously when a team beats your favorite team, you don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then the Flames came along, and all of a sudden uh, now I'm cheering for Calgary because, because they were the next team that could maybe beat the Oilers. But um but always followed them. It was the games were always on TV when they were, you know, on Saturday nights. My dad was a huge fan, and uh, and still is today. And so, you know, a lot, watched a lot of the Oiler games. Um, you know, followed them very closely for sure. Did you guys come in for a lot of a lot of games at that time? No, we Not didn't really. have a whole lot of money. You know, yeah. we we you know every once in a while we had some. Um, t- I think there was only twice that I ever went to an Oilers game. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah. So. Okay, so so you got traded to the Oilers. Uh, what's the date here? I just uh, I just lost it. But in the two thousand two three season, uh, this is I'll use this as a trivia question. Sometime I'm sure you and Radic Dvorak for Anson Carter and Alish Pisa. Uh, you played one hundred and thirteen games for the Oilers. Was it? I mean, what was it like coming to the closest thing you have to a to a local hometown NHL team? Was that a different experience for you? Oh, I was really excited. I mean, I was surprised to get traded from the Rangers. I was playing really, really well there. And, um, you know, they, they traded me at the deadline, and I was I was actually quite shocked that I got traded, but um, but excited at the same time to come to Edmonton and being kind of my hometown. I was I was excited, and, um, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, so surprised and excited at the same time. Well, I mean, what was it like? I mean, I guess what's the experience like being an Oiler? And I guess I want to know from the context because, you know, people say, well, is there is there too much fan pressure? Is, is the media pressure crippling? Has has the, you know, the fact that the team is under a microscope every day contributed to this 10-year playoff drought? Did you find any of that, that it's 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 just so much that it can wear on the players at all? Well, it definitely weared on me. I mean, I, uh, you know, my first... Uh first uh, year when I got traded into Edmonton, you know, I, I finished the year off and we play, played real well and we played Dallas. We lost in the first round to a hard, you know, a hard fought series. And then, uh, and then the next year, um, you know, had, had maybe my best, best year scored seven goal point wise scored seven goals and got a, you know, a lot of points, a lot of ice time, but then my body really started deteriorating and, uh, and my back was, um, really bad and has never been the same since actually um since that year and uh then the lockout happened and i try to re- you know try to um get back to what it was like before during the lockout and kind of glad that the lockout did happen because i couldn't i don't think i could have played uh, that next year um but then you know the season started they changed the rules um you know maybe a little bit of my fire uh fire to play um you know, dwindled, I guess, during the lockout. And uh, you know, I, I struggled confidence-wise, uh, body body shape, and, um, you know, my back was just, just not the same. And uh, and then, you know, once you lose confidence, you just can't play hockey. It's I mean, that's just at any age. And, uh, yeah, and then, you know, the pressure of, of playing and the fans, you know, they started getting on me and, 
and booing me and uh yeah that was really really tough you know especially coming from you know lloyd minster and being a u of a guy and doing lots of community and that and so uh, it was time for me to move on and i and i was glad that i i did move on um and i know how it is you know and Tampa. I was. We were last place in the league there for two straight years, and it's so tough to come to to the rink day and and tell you're probably going to lose. And that's you know you you know as much as you want to be professional and you you know you're playing for your um, you're playing for your uh, money and and you know you have a good life. You know you're a human, and uh, it, it, and it's just really hard on hard on you. It's like you if you if you're not doing things aren't going well at your job, you don't want to. You know, you don't really want to go. <laughs> right. But, yeah. Yeah. So, well, very honest but, answer, Corey. Appreciate that. Before I let you go, what what are you looking forward to about the big event on Wednesday? Oh, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing some of my old my old pals for sure. Uh, some old teammates, some guys I played against, um, and just being in the hole. I mean, yeah, you grow up. I mean, I grew up uh, being being around Edmonton and and, and all the old uh, Oilers and. Um, you know, there's still, you know, when I go, I'm a season ticket holder with, with our company and I go back to, you know, a few games a year and it's just nice going back and, and, you know, once an order, always, that's always been the big, the big line in the dress room. And, and so it's going to be exciting to, uh, to see everybody there and, and to, to have the whole experience of the last game of Rexall. Right on. Well, Corey, thanks for making time for me tonight. It's good to catch up with you. Hopefully I'll see you uh, around the rink on Wednesday so we can talk again. Uh, I know, like, for people who don't know, I used to interview you all the time over the phone when you were playing in the uh, NHL and I was in Lloydminster, so it's good to talk to you here on, on an Edmonton station. Thanks for your time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Reed. That is Corey Cross checking in tonight. 113 games as an Edmonton Oiler. And, yeah, what an interesting journey from him, from Junior B to the U of A, to the uh, NHL and pretty candid there about some uh, tough seasons that he had while with the Edmonton Oilers. It is 7:19, still ahead on the show. Dave Lumley's going to join us in studio. That'll be fun. A little bit of a different angle on Rexall Place. Don Clark, the former building manager for Northlands, Skyreach, Rexall, all that kind of stuff. Uh, he's going to talk to us as well, and I think he'll have some interesting things to say. Still ahead, Inside Sports on Chet. <laughs> This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, Cam Talbot expected to be in goal on Wednesday night. Oilers, Canucks, they'll play again on Saturday in Vancouver. So remember on Wednesday, Oilers now from noon to 2. We'll have a documentary, Rexall's Last Stand from 2 to 3. Face-off show from 3 to 5, game at 5, and then we'll have the entire post-game ceremony, and overtime open line all on 6.30. Chad, that's going to be fun. Inside Sports is presented by AMA. Be listening to on uh, Wednesday for your Alberta Motor Association's Oilers Hockey AMA Safety and Savings for your family. Some text to 6.30, 6.30. T texting back again. Says, I'm glad you can't watch the March Madness finale. Stay focused carrying Taylor Hall's pom-poms. Read. That is from T who spelled my name incorrectly that time. Keep trying, T. You'll get all your spelling grammar right in the next one. Jim and Olds says, I must look at leadership differently from most. Leaders bring people together. 
A common theme of successful teams is that they hang out together, they're close, they play for each other. Leaders create closeness between teammates. They don't kick garbage cans and give speeches in the locker room. I'm not comparing combat and sports. What I'm saying is the success of a combat unit is the sum of its parts. Success depends on everyone. That is from Jim and Olds. Uh, Steer Cheap says, hey, Reed, I didn't hear who won the Allen Cup. That's because it hasn't happened yet. So nothing wrong with you there, Steer Cheap. We'll, uh, we'll do some Allen Cup stuff. Craig says, I'm hoping the Oilers will take care of the Canucks on Wednesday 10 nothing. It won't totally make up for the crap we as fans have had to take, but it'll be a slow start. Another texture says, McClellan says it best. Characters with tenacity. Who hates losing? It's not easy to find those players. Sorry, who hates losing and has skill? It's not easy to find those players. Our core players, other than Hall and McDavid, are nice people. Unfortunately, they play a bit too timid. Shirelli knows this. It'll still take time. Sadly, it sucks. That is from an unnamed texter. Topher Allen texting in tonight, as he regularly does. Usually, Topher Allen texts purely for my amusement, because he's a very funny guy. But he has texted one that I think he wants read tonight about the Corey Cross interview. I loved his candor, honest guy. People can say what they want about players like him, but they did something 99% of us beer league stars never did. They made the show. That is from Topher Allen. Thank you, Topher Allen. Wade Gretzky on with Bob Stoffer earlier today, talking about Rogers' place and the future of the Oilers. Here's the great one. Yeah, you know what? Everything happens for a reason in life. They've, they've built this brand new building, and I've had a chance to go through it, and it's pretty, it's pretty spectacular. It's going to be one unique building, great atmosphere. As you said, uh, they got Connor, and you know he's as good as any 18-year-old I've seen in the last 40 or 50 years. Um, and just as important, I think they, they hired a good staff there. You know, Bob Nicholson is a tremendous man. I had a great opportunity to work with him at Hockey Canada. And uh, I have utmost respect for Peter Shirelli and, and McClellan as a coach. So I think they've got a lot of good pieces together, and hopefully they can put them all together now and head towards the north instead of uh, being at the bottom. But it, it is an exciting team to watch. I like watching them play. They're fun to watch. And when you're young, you're going to have some clunkers like they did on Saturday night. It just When we used to have games like that, say they would threaten to take us to Vegreville for four days to <laughs> practice all day and hang out. But he, he never lived up to his threat. We never had to do it. <laughs> okay, I hate to do this. I disagree with the great one on two things. First of all, I personally don't believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe things happen and people try to react to them the best that they can. And then if they something good comes out of it, they say, well, that happened for a reason. But I don't believe things happen for a reason. Second of all, what's wrong with going to Vegreville for four days? You'd get to wake up and look at the egg every day. Have you seen that egg? It's huge. It's a pissinka. It's beautiful. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Oh, wait a second. Uh, Todd McClellan today on uh, coaching during a bad game like on Saturday. That's our job to do that. And the last thing um, we will do here is separate the, the staff from the players. We're in it with them. Um, Todd, Jay, Woody, Jim, Ian, uh, Schwartzy were just as bad as the players the other night. I made 
many mistakes on the bench. Um, my belief system was low. Um, and they probably look to me and they look at my body language and my verbal cues and they read off of that a little bit too. So I'm just as responsible as the players are. And yes, we can help them and that's our job to help them. All right, that is uh, Todd McClellan. Again, get the full Todd McClellan on the Oilers page on 630Ched.com. Still ahead tonight, we will bring in Don Clark, former building manager for Rexall Place. Uh, interesting career he had. He'll have some memories, hockey and otherwise, of the old barn. Dave Lomley, former Edmonton Oiler, won a couple of Stanley Cups here. He's going to be in studio. That'll be fun. Coming up after the 8 o'clock news, Don Clark in the next half hour. We'll get to some... Uh, Louis DeBrusque stuff as well. I talked to him after practice today after he heard the Todd McClellan media availability at Rexall Place. Still 5-3 for the Blue Jays leading Tampa Bay bottom of the seventh inning as the Jays try to make it two in a row and uh, the seventh inning just ended so they go to the eighth with the lead. Following the old scoreboard online four minutes in Villanova and North Carolina 7-7 in the NCAA final. Back after the 7:30 news inside sports on Chet. Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader 630 Chad. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Really good to have you along for the ride. Dave Lumley in studio. After the 8 o'clock news tonight, that'll be fun. You already heard from Corey Cross. We have Don Clark coming up in a minute here. Just want to quickly update the scoreboard, which, as always, is courtesy of Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, visit crystalglass.ca. Panthers up 3-0 on Toronto. That is after 2, late in the second period. The Coyotes lead the Blues 2-1. Islanders taking it to the Lightning tonight, up 5-2 late in the third. Tavares has his 30th of the season. And the New York Rangers in Columbus leading 3-2. Nick Foligno, both goals for the Blue Jackets. He now has 11 on the season. Well, lots of memories of uh, Rexall Place, Northlands Coliseum, Edmonton Coliseum, Skyreach Center, all the names it has had over the years. And uh, a guy who will have some memories from a bit of a different perspective Joins us now, Don Clark is on the line. Don, you're on with Reed. Thanks for your time. How are you doing? I'm just finding yourself. Well, good. I'm glad we finally connected for this interview. <laughs> yeah, because I was out of the country. <laughs> we were playing phone tag for a couple of weeks, but it, but it all yeah, turned out. Yeah. yeah, got back in time though. Got back in time. So, uh, so you were the, the 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 building manager, the general manager. Which to which do we call it of the building? Well, you know. <laughs> The truth is, was chief cook and bottle washer. Okay. I, actually, I was hired on as the marketing manager, but some things happened that changed. The remember this: the Edmonton exhibition had six buildings, uh, you know, the gardens, the sport X, and the new Coliseum. I was actually just supposed to 
uh, do the marketing for the Coliseum, but after a bunch of uh, Edmonton exhibition officials left, I was all of a sudden the, the temporary acting manager until we put George Hughes in there. Okay, so you were you were working in relation to this building before it actually existed, were you not? Yes, I was. So what do you remember about the whole... Well, let me ask you this, too. What do you remember about the political... Because, I mean, this was such a rigmarole, getting Roger's place up and running, all the negotiations. Was, yeah, was, yeah. was there that much going on in the early 70s to get Northlands Coliseum built? Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, because... Do you ever, do you ever hear about the Omniplex? Yes, I've heard that term. Well, I, I was one of the members that were we uh, were making a case to build an omniplex. I think it was way ahead of its time, and it went to a, a referendum. Or the, the public or the citizens got to vote on it. And they turned it down by sixty-two percent. They they got a sixty-two percent yes, and you needed sixty-six and two-thirds. Oh wow! So the Edmonton Exhibition then decided, well, they were going to, and I, this is absolutely true, build it and they will come. And I know we've heard that uh, phrase in the movie, but at that day, we said, well, if we build it, they will come. Now, we weren't talking about fans. We were talking about if we built a coliseum, as it turned out, then the hockey, then the rodeo, then the concerts, they would come. And that's what happened. The Edmonton Exhibition decided to go ahead, build what we call Rexall Place now, which was the Edmonton Column. They sent me out, or they hired me as Al Anderson's kind of assistant, and sent me out about a year, a year and a half to start filling the concerts and, and the hockey, whatever we could. And I went down into places like Los Angeles, New York, and Chicago, and I ran into, oh, Edmonton, is that someplace between uh, Vancouver and Toronto, or is it up there north? And, <laughs> and, and they said, wait, wait, you know, you're building a 18,000-seat Coliseum, why would you do that? And I said, well, what, wait. Well, they said, well, down here, our, our uh, uh, Coliseums are 100,000 seats. And I said, well, no, we're building more what's like a Jack Kent Cook's place, the old forum in Los right. Angeles. And then they understood. Okay, so for, first of all, the Omniplex, was that the one that was going to have football and yep. a convention center? Because yep. Commonwealth didn't exist. It was just Clark at the time. Exactly. And, and, and if anything, uh, Omniplex was probably many years ahead of its time. <laughs> okay. So once, what do you remember about, I mean, it, it's hard to think of this now, but when it opened in 1974, was Northlands Coliseum like world class? Like how state-of-the-art was it? Well, it was state of the art, uh, mind you. As I say, I, I, I was I, I was down to places like uh, Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens and uh, uh, New York, and that. Now, remember, those buildings at that time were pretty old. We were having a brand new one, and remember this: the big thing is we were coming from the Edmonton Gardens, where we were having hockey, of course, Oil Kings and what have you, and concerts, and now moving into the Palace across the street. You bet it was a state of the art then. And I suspect the same thing's happening now. From Rexall Place to Rogers Place, it's going to look like another palace. Don, do you remember the first WHA game? Does anything stand out about that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, with uh, during that game, uh, we had we remember we had to play the first half a dozen games in the Edmonton Gardens because the Coliseum wasn't ready. So things were getting finished up, and then it was time to play hockey, but we didn't have all the cushioned seats in, 
And as as the last couple hundred fans came in, the staff actually said, "Have a seat." And we they had to take their cushion up and put it in. in the, and you know what? The fans loved it. As a matter of fact, they wanted to take the seats home. Of course, we said no, but we lost a half a dozen. So you actually, it was like a do-it-yourself finish to the to the Coliseum. Well, yeah, you know, the cushion, the seats, the, you know, the, the iron part of the the seat was there, but the cushions weren't. So they had to take out and sit. And, and as they say, it was a heck of an experience for them. Was there, and I, and I want to get into, obviously, when Gretzky came and the, and the Cups, but just to keep it chronological, was there a, a, a concert, you know, a band or an act that, that you got to come to Edmonton or that somebody got to come where it was like, oh, wow, that's a big deal. These people would not have come if we didn't have the Coliseum. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, the majority of them, uh, for instance, the, the Eagles and uh, the Who, and, you know, I could go on and on with the names, who were all big entertainers at that time, and we, the uh, Edmonton Exhibition or Northland, we brought in the likes of, as I said, the Eagles and Charlie Pride and Dolly Parton and uh, the Osmonds, Tom Jones, uh, you know, go on and on. And uh, it, the big thing went first was to get established, for the word to get out that this they did have a building up there, and that, yeah, it had four walls and a roof, and it was warm and all that. And then, uh, like the Eagles, they came, and they were perfect gentlemen. They came in, and they did their show, and they were gone, and the place was as clean after they left as it was when they came in, the same with the Army place. But some groups came in and uh, left a mess behind, and we had to clean it up. Like who, for instance? you got to give me something. <laughs> you, just, you, you just said it, the who. Oh, the Who were not, they, they were not obedient. Well, uh, uh, Keith Moon. Was he the Who or the Guess Who? I can never no, remember. No, he was, yeah, he was the Who, yeah. The Who, okay. Well, uh, the, they, uh, we, I allowed them to use the Oilers' dress room. Now, remember, this was in the summertime, so the Oilers weren't around. And uh, they, uh, after the uh, concert was over, and it was a heck of a concert and all that, in there, Staff coming running up to get me said, uh, Don, better get down there. They're wrecking the dressing room. So I get down there, bang on the door, get in, and, yeah, they had, you know, thrown pork and beans over the ceiling and ripped the couches and all that. And Keith Moon said, what are you going to do about it? I said, well, I guess it's too late, so I'll do nothing. But then when I went to pay them, we took $10,000 off to fix the dressing room, and they never, never... Never batted an eye. Okay, so the Oilers got a new dressing room, but we never let anybody use the Oilers dressing room again. Right. Interesting stuff. Don Clark joining us. Some memories of Rexall Place here at 630 Chat. Okay, now is there some kind of story about a Bay City Rollers concert in like 77 or something? Absolutely, yeah. The Bay City Rollers were notorious for uh, having a show and then inciting the girls, in particular it was girls for the Bay City Rollers, to come on down, and, and I had been warned about that from the Maple Leaf Gardens staff and all that. So I was ready for it, at least we thought we were. And, you know, we had f- fences up. We had 30 rugby players there. But as the show was ending, they said they were going to do one more encore, and by that time I'm up kind of hesitating on the stage. But they started, and then they said, hey, ga- girls, come on down. Well, how do you stop 8,000 girls from coming down? You know, the... 
the rugby players, they had one under each arm and one under that, and they were still, and the uh, Bay City Rollers were still encouraging them to come down. So I went out and I stopped the show. How, how did you possibly do that? I pulled the, pulled the cords and pulled any plug I could find. <laughs> and, you just and you know, after everything. it was over, the Bay City Rollers called me and about two days later and said, Hey, Tom, thanks so much. It was the best publicity we ever got. It went right across the country. Oh, jeez. So was- you know, we, we had to stop it because somebody was going to get hurt. And, you know, we, we didn't want that. So you were just trying to keep people safe, and they were like, Oh, thanks for making news. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and... One of my daughters was one of those ones charging the, the stage. Did you know that at the time or not? No, till after? no, no, no. She was lost in. When I said eight, there was 8,000 girls in the audience. And I swear half of them were trying to get up to, on the stage with it. In fact, you know, by this time we had uh, St. John's there, of course, and a couple of girls either pretended or did faint. And we pick them up and take them to the. And, one of my staff come and said, hey, that girl, that's her third time around. <laughs> she was pretending to think into the dressing room, sort of, so they could get next to the Bay City. <laughs> oh, but nobody was hurt, and uh, the Bay City Rollers said they'd come back anytime. How, how did you find out your daughter was one of the ones? She, did well, she the next day she, the next day she wouldn't speak to me because I'm, her, the kids at her school were mad at the guy that her, uh, stopped the Bay City Rollers. <laughs> She forgave me a couple of days later. <laughs> uh, Don Clark joining us. Great memories of uh, what was then Northlands Coliseum. Don, what do you remember about uh, Wayne Gretzky coming to town or maybe a, a meeting with him or the first time you met him? Anything stand out there? Well, yeah, the first time we got, you know, I got even just, uh, we, we had a, 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 a Eskimo, no, an, an Euler media game for to raise money for charity, eh? And I happened to go and go for uh, the Oilers, uh, where I was a handicap, and I had Jacques Plant's uh, work uh, pads on. And Andy Mogan and uh, Grant Fuhr went in the other end. And, you know, people were, uh, the Oilers were such great at helping out because the money was going to a charity. The game ended up 6-6, but there wasn't that much hockey play. <laughs> <laughs> Another one with Gretz and the Oilers was... Uh, on New Christmas, during the Christmas, we we had it in a place decorated, and we brought in hundreds and hundreds of kids in gurneys and uh, wheelchairs and handicapped kids, Oilers, Eskimos, etc., all there. Up on the stage was uh, Wayne and Vicky Moss and a bunch of the others singing, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. And just at that time, I had Roger Page up in the skylight and he made it snow on them down there on the on the stage should have seen the look on their faces when it first started coming down <laughs> it was uh make-believe snow sort of thing but and the kids and then of course the oilers getting down and you know mingling with the kids as best they could in that and then all of a sudden the kids are not lost all interest in gretzky and mcsorley and all of them because Santa Claus came in, and he was far more important than them. <laughs> wow, that's an incredible story. Um, what about your uh, the, the the first the first Stanley Cup? You must have been in the building and and have it must have been quite uh, quite the oh, scene. <laughs> yeah, at that time I was part of a committee headed up by people like Olivia Beauty and Daryl Smith, and that that about two weeks before the possibility, and I <laughs> I stress that of the orders getting to the Stanley Cup. 
So we formed a committee, and we I phoned Bruce McGregor and uh, and talked to us, Glenn They wouldn't talk to us, the jinx. No way, don't you even mention, you know, Stanley Cup. So what we had to do is pretend we were making up a parade, a bigger, bigger parade for Klondike days. So we got the police, we got the traffic department, we got the ambulance, we got the buses and all that in meetings and told them it's going to be a Klondike days parade. But, of course, the night that the we cinched the Stanley Cup, we went into the dressing room. We didn't have to tell the team that there was going to be a, a, a victory celebration then because the jinx was over. Wow, I don't know. Uh, Klondike Days Parade in May. I don't know if ever, if anybody was believing that was what you were doing. No, anyway. but we we took a blood oath. You know, <laughs> not to quench it. Not everybody knew, but you didn't mention it. No, no, you didn't. Uh, fear of blood oath. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- that's incredible. Just great stuff, Don. Um, before I let you go, I mean, obviously there will be stuff at Rexall Place next season. The rodeo, uh, the World Curling is going to be there. Uh, yeah. In about a year, so that you know, still some there's still going to be some big events there. But you know, the Oilers are kind of the daily use of the building. Just what do, what do you think it's going to be like for you? Well, first of all, are you going Wednesday, or are you going to watch on TV? And what emotions do you think you'll have? Well, I, I, I guess I'm going is because, as you know, I was away, and when I got back, all the tickets were gone. So I'll be watching it on on TV, of course. And you know, it's like when we moved from the Edmonton Gardens to the then new Edmonton Coliseum. Glad, but sad, or sad but glad. It was. Uh, it's. It's a step up, and with a new building like today, I'm told this new arena is going to look like or be. Well, I, I'm happy for Edmonton, and we, you know, get our best use of it for the Oilers or or whatever. But still, the old Coliseum there can serve a real good purpose in this town, uh, like Vancouver does with their. Uh, Pacific Place and the old forum, they have uh, acts and concerts and that there too that aren't as big time or big expensive like the arena will command, you know. Yeah. But whether that's going to happen or not, uh, Reed, I don't know. That's in the hands of uh, Northlands and and the Oilers and whoever. Yeah, for sure. We shouldn't forget that the Coliseum served the public, the community, the Oilers, the rodeo. John Doe, Mrs. Smith, and the whole works. Uh, the City of Champions were served by Edmonton Coliseum. Don, well said. Thank you so much for making time for me on Inside Sports. Just wonderful stories, some great recollections. Uh, you know, a lot from the from the seventies, where a lot of people probably uh, probably don't remember a lot of that happening. Thanks so much for your time. And I got a lot more, a lot more anytime you want them, Reed. Oh, we'll do that some other night. How about yeah? That's a date. Okay. Yeah. Take care. That is Don Clark checking in tonight. Uh, as he called it, basically the uh, chief cook and bottle washer for uh, Northlands Coliseum. Uh, did some uh, managing of the building, some promotion, booking acts. Uh, he was a he was a busy man. Some incredible stories from Don. All right, it's seven fifty. We got to take a quick time out here on Inside Sports, which of course is presented by AMA. Be listening on Wednesday for your Alberta Motor Association's Oilers Hockey, AMA Safety and Savings for Your Family. Coming up in about 15 minutes, joined in studio by Dave Lumley. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. 
right, thanks for tuning in tonight, 7.53. Dave Lomley coming up. We'll hear from Louis DeBrusque as well. Again, that next Oilers game is on Wednesday, and uh, I really hope you're able to tune in in the afternoon. Quite frankly, take the afternoon off work. From 2 to 3, we have a special documentary on 6.30, Chad, called Rexall's Last Stand. Uh, uh, Dean Vince and I put it together, and uh, some cool stuff. A lot of Oilers stuff in there. But uh, we'll branch out to some other stories about the, the building as well because it did host some other pretty big events. The 2009 Olympic curling trials were in Rexall Place. Uh, you had the World Figure Skating Championships. You've had rodeos. Don't forget the Oil Kings played in three WHL finals there. Uh, won a Game 7 on home ice back in 2012. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of different things that uh, we'll remember about the building. Matthew Panashik on the other side of the window. I thought that was pretty cool, Don Clark, that people were handed cushions. Cause this, and not all the seats were quite ready. Didn't have the cushions installed yet. So people were handed the cushion, and they had to, they had to put it in place themselves. It was a do-it-yourself finish to what was in Northland's Coliseum. Excuse me, sir, but your seat's not ready, but do we have one for you? Here you go. You screwed on yourself and have fun. Well, I think that's all in how you spin it, too. It's like, hey, sir, we're going to give you the opportunity to position your cushion to your liking. As opposed to like, hey, take this cushion. Your seat's not done, right? This, this is, you know, it's, it's, all how you, it's, all how, it's all with the spin. It's all in the delivery. So you're getting the opportunity. To finish the seat to your liking. Well, you can't. Dave Lomley's looking around. You can't hear. You'd have headphones on to hear him, Dave. Dave Lomley's like, Wilkins, who are you talking to? I know you're kind of an unstable host, but but you appear to be talking to nobody. <laughs> All right, the Blue Jays are still up five three. Bottom of the eighth. Tampa has runners on uh, first and third with two out, so the Jays will try to get out of that uh, jam. Here's a little more Wayne Gretzky from Oilers Now today talking about Rexall Place closing. It's kind of bittersweet, you know, it's a new era, obviously, you know, Maple Leaf Gardens went down and the Montreal Forum went down, so it's uh, time for a new building, and I'm sure uh, uh, hopefully the the team can uh, make some great new memories in the new arena. Uh, absolutely. You know, Wayne, it's interesting. When you did your ESPN 30 for 30, and it was uh, very well done with, I believe it was Peter Burke put that together, you talked about skating around at Rexall Place, and you knew a lot of the people that you, you'd skate around and see in the, uh, the lower bowl. I mean, it really did kind of have a, a family feel to it, didn't it, during the, uh, uh, I guess, the evolution of the Oilers in the 1980s. Oh yeah, it, it was. Uh, that was the thing I remember most about it. Uh, you know, skating out, and warm up, and seeing the same people, and obviously, you got to. I got to meet a lot of them over the years, and you know, to go out on the ice and turn back and see Vic and Esther Maude every game, and friends of mine that I developed relationships with over the years, and. You know, you knew uh, Christmas time uh, or or Easter, they might be gone for a week on a family holiday, so somebody else would be in those seats. But you know, it was uh, it was a pretty great uh, atmosphere, and I think it went to a new level the year we played uh, Montreal in the playoffs, and and uh, when we came on the ice for the game three, our first home game, um, I think the whole city. And the atmosphere in that building just completely changed and went to a completely different level. It was really exciting throughout. And you can get the full Gretzky interview on the Oilers Now page on 630Ched.com. We are going to bring you the news, traffic, 
weather then former Edmonton Oiler Dave Lumley in studio inside sports on Chad 630 Chad inside sports with Reed Wilkins weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad